Hey, welcome back to the We Maple Video Show. Our first uh, guests, uh, first time having multiple guests on the We Maple Video Show. Today we're joined here with Jody and Sam and Andre. Uh, do you guys all just want to individually introduce yourselves? Sure, yes. Uh, <clears throat> thank you. My name is uh, Jody Linklater. I'm the CEO of uh, Clean Communities Corporation. And uh, I'm also the, the, the director of First Nation Youth Build Canada. Hi, my name is Samuel Dysert. I work in Information Communications Technology and I, IT Sport and uh, what you call it. I also work in uh, cybersecurity. Hello, my name is Andre Layton. I'm a water and wastewater expert and instructor. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, this is an exciting episode for us. We've uh, had an opportunity to get some steaks earlier this week at the keg. What kind of cut do you guys usually go for when you're going to get a big piece of meat? I like mine just well done, uh, just uh, ribeye, it's good. I like a uh, top sirloin, medium well. Whatever's cooked the best. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I think you went baseball the other day, didn't you? Um, or the, or uh, it looked the, pretty, quite thick. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty juicy. Yeah, yeah. That's good. The keg's one of those places, you know, that you, you'll always get the same kind of steak. It's like, you know, we were talking about coffee earlier. It's nice to have... Some restaurants that you know, no matter where you go in the world, you're going to get the same thing. Yeah. I thought the keg here was pretty good. Mm -hmm. It was better than normal. Yeah, for sure. A little hot out there on the patio, eh, boys? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, it's just, uh, exciting for us uh, here at We Maple. We, um, just when we thought we were out of the film business, it pulls you right back in. We were pivoting here to do more podcasts, and then we connected with uh, Jody. Do you want to set a bit of context and, um, you know, what came up for you when we initially messaged you, and, and why did you want to uh, get involved in the film business? Ah, uh, yeah, good point. Well, thank you for that. I guess one of the I, uh, one of the main reasons uh, uh, in Indigenous Canada was that um, there's a lot of uh, interesting topics that are uh, across the country. Uh, but the point is, is that um, we were never quite getting the kind of optics uh, uh, on uh, on what reconciliation could look like. So um, uh, it was important. Uh, a documentary was always in the back of my mind to uh, uh, you know catch a, a wider audience and to um, you know uh, have something that government uh, could look at instead of you know always traveling and and. Uh, regurgitating the same stuff over and over again you know you can hand them something that they could share amongst themselves and, and that was very important because everything is uh, uh, time sensitive yeah for sure yeah videos got that scalability aspect to it I know in our private side of our business we have certain clients that will produce a video asset to save their staff from saying the same things multiple times a day uh, in in the kind of engineering geology kind of space, we had a video that we produced uh, for a client to describe their technology, and th they actually said, you know, we were about to hire a full time engineer because if you've got thirty staff members saying the same ten minute thing mm -hmm. two or three times a day for people to understand, and then before the meeting, you can say, hey, watch this video first. Mm -hmm. What's ten minutes times thirty staff a week times a year? And um, so there's the cost savings aspect, but also there's that scale that like kind of at you said that you can translate that and move things a little quicker when you're trying to communicate something. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Like uh, 
for the work that we're doing right now, <clears throat> that's uh, right across the country, it didn't make sense, you know, to spend, uh, you know, a month every year on some sort of uh, indigenous roadshow. So it just, it just made more sense to take those, uh, those travel costs and, and put them into something that had, uh, you know, uh, that was just more effective. Uh, better use of time, uh, better use of uh, money, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and this, this um, you know, DEI kind of tick the boxes thing that's happened in culture, especially with cor in a corporate environment. I think what's unique about what we're doing too is to tell that Indigenous story, to bring that reconciliation piece into a film context that maybe hasn't been done in this way before, a little bit more of a natural approach that we want to take where there's just these really cool, innovative, technological kind of um, forward thinking, social impact stories, but not in a, hey, look, there's an indigenous person working on it. Hey, look, there's an indigenous person in it. It's just, look at this cool shit. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that this is coming out of the indigenous community. I think that's one thing that is distinct and special that I see in, in our opportunity here. Yeah. You know, you know, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, and uh, uh, I'm glad that you framed it that way because uh, there's a lot of uh, people um, and corporations that really are, you know, jumping on the bandwagon. You know, if, if you know, they just want to get involved because uh, you know you're the indigenous piece. Uh, I didn't really focus on that. I mean, the the the, the important thing here is that uh, as the CEO of Clean Communities Corporation, you know, we wanted to be involved in the most innovative. Uh, technologically advanced projects in the in the country and uh, we didn't want to wait uh, for um, industry uh, and corporations to come to our traditional territories our reserves and uh, to do business with us reconciliation for us also means that um, we're going to do business outside of those parameters uh, it's been challenging but uh, very groundbreaking uh, and uh, you know the government is starting now uh, to uh, open up uh, funding envelopes so that we can participate in these, you know, mega projects. So it's it's quite exciting um, and a lot of hard work. I, you know, I spent the vast majority of my life dealing with uh, with government and uh, watching my father do it before me, uh, you know, and uh, uh, still, uh, for the most part, uh, stuck within the bubble of, uh, you know, just. Uh, uh, everything that has to do with community and not really venturing outside too much. So for me, it was important to, to break the mold and uh, kind of, uh, I guess you would say, light a path for other people to follow. Yeah. Yeah, we were hitting on that a little bit the other day around um, kind of family legacy and, you know, what gets passed down from a father to a son. We touched on, you know, these kind of hunting and trapping, like take any high school kid, <clears throat> say Caucasian generally speaking um, not even to make it a, a race thing but but more of a culture thing is like take any high school kid out of Calgary and put them in the woods yeah. like that's I think one thing that's special about um, and one thing that's really distinct that we talked about is like your family lineage your father kind of is like I'm going to teach Jody business mm -hmm. and then with, with Sam and Andre you guys you know you have your other acumen which we'll, we'll get into the to the water and some tech mm -hmm. um, but the sort of like you you know you said the other day Sam like if you were in the woods you'd survive a month yeah that wouldn't be a problem with me I thought my father taught me everything you know about surviving in the, in the, in the forest in the wild by myself and uh, that's happened to me I've been stuck out in the bush by myself for like a week 
all alone and like uh, I had no problem surviving. It's like I just fell back on what my father taught me about hunting, fishing, trapping, and being alone and whatnot. Right? It's just you become one with nature. It's like you, it's like you know you become savage. It's not words. It's another way of saying it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine. It's like I don't mind being all savage because you know. It's another skill. Because yeah, it's, you survive. It's a survival yeah. instinct. And it, it kicks in automatically when you're alone in a forest. It's great. And then my father also told me, he's like, I didn't teach you all just to hunt, trap, and fish. I taught you how to work hard, he said. He said, uh, stay at your job and keep at it. He said, it's not only hunting and trapping and fishing. You should move the skills over to other things, it's like the work ethic, right? The motivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what uh, I'm glad my dad, my father taught me all that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. Oh, you just got uh, something similar. Yeah, I grew up in the bush. I've had, uh, I have the same kind of experiences. We don't go out in the bush to, to not survive. We thrive out there. <laughs> it's a great feeling to be able to live the different lifestyles, to live the business life like this, and still have those skills behind yes. to back up on. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's an interesting point because uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, 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 you know, um, our culture, uh, Western culture, uh, we're taught that, um, you know, uh, you as an individual need to know everything about everything. And, uh, and, and, and it's kind of ridiculous. Um, you can't know everything about everything, you know. Uh, you can get a, a broad view, but uh, I really, uh, I guess you could say, pride myself on bringing other people with uh, very different skill sets that I don't have to complement what needs to be done and completely share and enjoy that whole journey. So, so I don't have the same skills as Sam and Andre, but I know I'm not going to go hungry. I mean, I can go and see these guys in the bush and yeah, yeah, no problem. You know, we'll, we'll have a good time and they'll teach me that kind of stuff. Same thing goes in the business world. These guys are very unique in their skill sets and, um, uh, you know, uh, for our advocacy piece and the technical piece, um, again, we had to bring that in-house so that we could be more effective when engaging and doing the good work that needs to be done. Yeah, and that's why, you know, um, our, our, uh, our work with uh, H2O Innovations is important and we needed that water expert. And, and, you know, Andre is, you know, highly educated in this area uh, I'm being modest, like one of the best operators, you know, in, in Canada. Thanks. Sam, you know, very smart IT person. I don't have that skill set. Uh, uh, so so um, he's able to um, uh, take very complex things uh, and, and uh, you know, streamline them so that systems can speak to one another when we're talking about renewable energy. And we can get more into that stuff uh, as we go on here. Yeah, growing up when I was younger, after I graduated high school, and I asked my father, what do you think I should do, hunting, trapping? He's doing okay, right? So I said, go to school, he told me. I said, all right. Yeah. Sounds good. I said, I'll get into IT, because it looked like that's where the world was going, and it's getting more and more technical, right? Mm-hmm. So that sounds like a fun field, I thought. And sure enough, I did pretty good in it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for myself, I mean, uh, I was raised... Uh, uh, in the business world, I mean, I watched my father um, uh, excel in, uh, in, in business and uh, just being around the table uh, talking about uh, the very dynamic uh, community issues and how to, you know, uh, weave your way and how to better communicate and how to win friends and influence people. That was all a learned skill that uh, 
uh, that was that was at the table. Lots of reading books and uh, learning from you know uh, from 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 other people that were in the field that were trying to break out in the successes and just trying to make it easier for myself. Education for me was uh, was was very important because it was a way for me to leave the community. And so, um, like uh, like like Sam, me, and Andre. I mean, nobody had to tell us to go to school, which is really interesting. Like uh, nobody had to take me to school or get up or anything like that. I was just at school. Maybe I slept at school most of the time, but I was always, uh, you know, uh, 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 listening and engaging. And uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, we graduated valedictorian, and uh, we were able to uh, start, uh, uh, you know, moving outside of our community slowly. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh well all of you highly impressive. The one thing that really stood out to me in our dinner yesterday was just how much one dude can know about water. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is possible if you put the effort in. I, I put all the effort in and order. I went into water originally to fix the issues in our community and part of the First Nations drinking water problem. That was my main goal on my education here. That's why I excelled. Mm -hmm. I put the extra effort in, and it did pay off. Yeah, yeah. See, see, Andre, you knew that, that there was a problem, right? And, yes, uh, I did. You didn't know what exactly it was. Yes. But uh, and there's a whole interesting family backstory of why you are where you are, and uh, and you spent 15 years or more of your life finding and just doing your own due diligence to find out what that culprit was in our community. Yes. You know, kudos to you. And, and we can we talk about it. Yeah. And, and now um, there was a, a lot of, uh, uh, when, when the culprit was found, right, um, uh, a lot of people uh, didn't listen. You know, they were just, uh, and it was interesting to watch. But um, the important thing is that, um, you know, working again with the team, we were able to take that information and uh, and move it uh, uh, to the national scene to get the attention that was needed in order to solve this very deadly problem. Yeah, there's an exciting um, moment coming here this afternoon. Yes, there is. How would you sum that up? My whole life led up to this moment. It's more than just the 15 years of schooling. There's a really big backstory on this. And I never knew that I was supposed to head down this path, but it was foreseen before I was born through our family that I would head down this path and I would fight for the people and the water. Mm -hmm. It was told in our family that one of, one of my grandfather's grandchildren would fight for our people and the water. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea that it was supposed to be me until a couple of years ago. I was adopted when I was born. I was raised outside of the community by white people and stuff. And they're my mom and dad that raised me. And I know my mom and dad, my real mom and dad from Nelson House. So I was raised out in Vancouver and Alberta and all over. And I came back here. Um, our grandparents told a story that we were going to fight for the water. And a couple of years ago, like I said, I found those Thunderbirds that I carry. I was gifted to them at birth, and not many people have ever been gifted those. Those are very, very rare. My cousin Sipico, my first cousin, she also carries that. 
on her headdress. It's a very sacred uh, symbol. And it's meant for the renewal of life and water. And I did not know that going into this and becoming one of the top water and wastewater operators and instructors in Canada. It just, it all played out. And when I do stuff like this, I do carry them on me. Just for... So, so Scott, today is uh, uh, symbolic, right? I mean, um, uh, we had a moment of silence this morning because uh, it's the first year anniversary when uh, Scott's mom passed away because of uh, a waterborne illness. And uh, today is uh, the day that uh, um, uh, Scott's going to be signing for a class action lawsuit. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's quite important. And uh, so you'll hear about that as... Uh, you hear the words H. pylori, you'll hear more about that as uh, uh, we, we, we move to get the attention that, that's needed. Yeah. And uh, is Andre your middle name? No, Andre is my first name. I go by Scott. Oh, you do go by Scott. I go by Scott Layton, but my legal name is Andre Scott Francois Layton. I have two names. The original name from my real parents when I was born and I was adopted, mm -hmm. which is Andre Francois. And then I have my name from my adoptive parents, Scott Layton, and they were put together. That way I always know where I came from, who I am. Uh, uh, thank you for that. That's really good, Scott. You know, like uh, that brings to, to you know, for, for myself, uh, my grandfather the same way, he, uh, even though, you know, my name Jody was given to me, but uh, my grandfather, you know, gave me my indigenous name, Kiwaitan Napu, North Windman. You know, I said, I saw you standing on top of a, of a ridge and the wind was blowing and you were standing there and you had your fist and uh, you were, you know, unstoppable, he said, you know, you just kept on going forward and he says, don't stop, he says, you know, just keep doing the good work and that was, that was really powerful for me, yeah. Yeah, we have a couple similar things or traditional wise in our family. My middle name, Matthew James, James is my dad's name, his middle name, Robert, Robert is a uncle and then so my two boys. Uh, one of them has Matthew as a middle name. The other one has my middle name as his middle name. Little kind of thing. My great-grandfather was a fisherman in uh, Nova Scotia off the East Coast. And he got capsized and um, his wife told him, don't go back out. He said, but I'm, I'm a fisherman. And the following year he went back out and they capsized. And the only thing that made it back was this pocket watch. And then that pocket watch was, was, was handed down to my grandfather. My grandfather handed it to my dad, and then my dad gave it to me on my wedding day. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I think it's, like, it's interesting as parents, you, you know, you, you have these children, and you want to you wanna have them have some sort of meaning and substance that they're a part of this longer history. And those little things, you mentioned the birds, and um, I'm sure there's others, things, but you know, knowledge and then a, some sort of physical piece. It just it really ha it really carries weight. You know, I remember this pocket watch being in my dad's uh, dresser as a kid, and I'd go in and I'd look at this gold watch, and I, it was so mysterious because he kept it so sacred in this special place and never talked about it. And I always was curious about it. And then it wasn't until my wedding day when he handed me the watch, told me the story about our family lineage, and what that did for me is it gave me this. Um, unwavering belief that when I discovered my career and chose it that like 
like, well, I'm a fisherman. And it's like, well, yeah, like I'm a filmmaker. I'm a mar like, I just like really owned that our family when the men had this thing that they'd get this unwavering belief in themselves and gave me some, some courage. So what is HP, HP, HP Lori, HP Lori? What are we dealing with around here? What is that? It is a fecal coliform. It is a bacteria that is in the drinking water systems that is being ignored by the governments, even though it has mortal health consequences. Um, there's a lot to say about it. It's the disease with a hundred faces. It's a new disease. It's only been recognized since the 1980s. It's been around forever, but it's only been recognized since the 1980s. All the research is new in the last few years and not too many people are up on it to realize how deadly this is affecting our communities. Mm -hmm. We are losing hundreds of people in small communities yes. due to cancer and autism and all the other health effects that are caused by this. Mm -hmm. And it is being totally ignored and it is very, very obvious. The whole world knows that First Nations drinking water is not good. It is very obvious to the world, but yet nobody is picking up the stone and carrying it. Everybody just does not want to deal with this issue because of the size of the health implications and the monetary to remediate these issues is gonna be, it's gonna be one for the books. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's a really interesting point, Scott, because uh, when we look at um, crisis management on reserves, like, they, they, they hear, but um, they, they, for the most part, um, there's, a they, there's a lot, they, they lack uh, funding and they lack the human resources that, and the qualified or certified personnel to properly deal with uh, uh, issues like this. And so um, when you're a leader in the community, for the most part, it's just a very high level things you can deal with. You don't really get down into the trenches. It's just... Who can you delegate this to? How can you do this? And, and for the most part, a lot of that important work gets lost. Um, yes. And it's interesting. So, you know, like um, there was a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, it, it was, it's confusing, it's complex. But when you talk about it with other First Nations, right, you, you know, in, in some essence, you become like a prophet because... Uh, uh, you know, you have a skill set that they don't have and you're from somewhere else and uh, you're able to help them more quickly. So we see that a lot in, in the industry, especially with First Nations. Um, if you're from the community, um, everybody knows you, they know what happened, your past and everything. You know, for the most part, it's kind of like, no, we can't work with that person. You go somewhere else with a skill set, you know, it's, uh, uh, they, they gravitate towards that because you're not from there and you, they understand that you can actually help. So it's, in that case, it's refreshing, so, yeah. You say a, a disease with a hundred different faces. So are we, are we dealing with a, a bacteria that gets in the water and then that transmutes into different types of disease? Yes, it does. Exactly. It has. Uh, it causes so many health effects that are affecting all our First Nations communities, and it hasn't been tied to it. But the evidence and all the documentation and the research points at it, mm -hmm. and on the government's behalf, they. The way that, in my opinion, the way that they have dealt with these boil water advisories in all the communities is not to fix the problem, is to misrepresent and misreport the issues in order to limit the liability on the government's behalf. 
and that's what we are seeing firsthand. Anything I noticed about uh, each pylori is that it, it kind of sits in your stomach for a very long time. It doesn't make you acutely sick, but it's like mild symptoms over an extremely long period of time, and it slowly sucks away your energy, slowly sucks away your health and mm -hmm. your spirit and your motivation. And just it's, it's like one thing. Yeah, it just really drains you very, very slowly, and it's like, mm -hmm. that's why it has a hundred different faces, because it just sits in your stomach and your mm -hmm. intestinal tract, and it doesn't get you violently sick, mm -hmm. but it also depends on those, but it does sit in your in your body for a very long time, and then uh, there's just no way around it, you just, and the treatment options is, <laughs> Scott, you can tell you about the treatments, <laughs> how that goes. They are very, very rough, the antibiotics. And it is a fully curable sickness, but it has to be addressed properly, which it is not. The whole community has to be um, tested and cured at the same time because it is a highly contagious sickness and it, it mm. um, it, it could be easily passed around, like you share yeah. a cup here with somebody that has eight pylori. Yeah. But not or if you're kissing your girlfriend or your kids, you can pass it down. Yeah. Because each pylori sits in your mouth and comes in and out of your body, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like like an outbreaks happen, and then for some reason the outbreaks are not reported. And yeah. the thing is, we we learned about outbreaks because of COVID nineteen, right? But when an outbreak happens in some small community or some city or a small town, mm -hmm. there are protocols on what to follow and what to do and. Yeah. There's a COVID outbreak, but when there's an outbreak of uh, H. pylori, it's, yeah, nothing happens. Yeah, yeah. The, and there are outbreaks in multiple communities, mostly reserves. And uh, it seems like they, there is no protocol for it, even though there really is an outbreak of H. pylori, and you got like 100 people, 1,000 people getting sick. And, yeah. And nothing, nothing. Nothing on that, even though we're experts on outbreaks now, and like the pandemic and the epidemic we just went through with COVID-19, right? Tell us about Sesame Street. Oh, <laughs> I could yeah. talk about that because I have a couple of family members that live there. Uh, what you call it? Uh, Sesame Street is a, it's a, it's a street in Alsace and uh, there's basically maybe 20 homes there, 30 homes. Yeah. And uh, for some reason, there's a lot of autistic children there because um, I think there was a, what you call it, a water contamination on the street and there was a, lo a lot of H. pylori in that. We still use water tanks. Yeah, and there's still water tanks there also. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not on the main water line. You bring in water trucks and they fill up a water tank. Mm -hmm. And those water tanks are, I don't know if people clean them. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. So if that tank gets the H. pylori, that's in likely, all likelihood that it would just stay in, in there, continue to, to, to grow. How does yes. that, is it like a, is it a bacteria that uh, multiplies itself? Yes. Is it... Uh, do, do these is it a, is it an organism? Do these cells come together and like how does it? What is it on a cellular? Gram-negative bacteria is what it is, and it's a fecally born bacteria. It's very very hard to test for, and that's one of the reasons it's being overlooked. It's very very complicated to find the sickness in the water, but it is there. It hides in the film in the water lines. If a community has ever had a water mistake with fecal matter, there will be this bacteria in your water system. Mm -hmm. Depending on the severity of the outbreaks, it, the dosage strength gets higher and the sickness gets more intense with the higher dosage strengths. Mm -hmm. And this is a fully curable disease. Mm -hmm. 
we do not have to die from this. It is curable, and there's no reason we should have this sickness at higher than third world rates. In our own country, we live like third world citizens, and our health is comparable to third world citizens in our own country and in our own land. And it seems like it is okay for the government to do this to us, which is unacceptable. How long has it been since you drank water? I have not drank water in probably about eight years. I have not drank a cup of municipal tap water from anywhere in Canada. With my knowledge of what's going on and how the water systems have been treated, I, I have PTSD. I cannot drink the water. I cannot bring myself to do it no matter what. It's knowing what's out there and what has not been addressed. It is not safe. I will not let my family drink it anymore. I just recently had a new grandson and I recently had a new daughter and my family has this H. pylori infection. So I had to risk with my kids and my, da my daughter and my wife becoming, my, my kids becoming autistic because of this H. pylori bacteria. H. pylori has been recognized as the cause of autism. It is the cause of autism, and the government knew about this. Uh, I've been screaming up and down for years, bringing evidence to the table, documents, and research. And H. pylori is caused by a bacterial infection in pregnant women. The bacterial infection that causes this is H. pylori. This is a curable sickness and does not have to happen. And there's also still stillborn births and stuff like that, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming that's why the you call it the autistic rate is rather high on Sesame Street and in our whole community. In our whole community, it's like it's supposed to be one in ten thousand or one in a hundred thousand for people to be autistic. I look at the stats, and we've got quite a few people with, yeah. with autism. Many. Our population is what three thousand Alsace, like on yeah. reserve, and there's uh, probably close to a hundred autistic children there. It's it's really sad. I don't know what we're going to do with these kids when they're growing up, and because they require a lot of support, right? Mm -hmm. You got to take care of them. Yeah, that's what my yeah. lawsuit is about. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. going to be a problem and, for us in a couple of years. And the interesting thing, too, uh, take it a step further, is that, uh, I mean, and we can go all along, you know, talk about this for, for, for quite a while, but uh, the interesting thing for me was, like, uh, when Scott was talking about it, uh, and I listened to him for a couple of years, and I said, okay, you know what, I'm going to go get uh, checked out, you know? So I went to the local uh, nursing station to go get checked out, and they wouldn't test me at our local nursing station for H. pylori. <clears throat> I waited for three hours and they said that uh, <clears throat> you need to go to uh, Thompson 85 kilometers away to go get tested. So for, for me, I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's disgusting. I said, the, 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 the government has a fiduciary responsibility to look after the Indians and uh, we're clearly not getting the service. Uh, and in some defense, you could say that the the professional, um, I guess, uh, caregivers, doctors, nurses that are that are in the First Nation are they don't know what they don't know, and so if the if the they don't know what H. pylori is, um, even though they heard about it, but it still hasn't been pushed by or mandated by the federal government to deal with it, <clears throat> then um, they're not going to treat it. Um, so uh, a lot of people had to go to Thompson to go get tested for, for, for H. pylori 
uh, and uh, it's a cost that, that, that we bear. And so when you see, I have friends, as an example, that have had multiple, you know, uh, miscarriages and it's H. pylori. It's, it's crazy and it's, you know, like they say, I've got H. pylori seven times and, and they take these pills and not only is that, you know, having antibiotics by itself, you know, kills everything in your stomach, but then you have no defenses and stuff like that. But to do it over and over again, it's just, it just messes everything up. Like your whole system and people can't function, think clearly. There's a lot of really deadly problems. So people have been reaching out to uh, Sam, myself and Scotty, you know, you know, good work, you know, we got to get this done. And, uh, and, and it's like, when a thousand people tell you that there's a problem on the community and that they got it, you're just like, man, how come no one's talking about this? You know, like, this is crazy. And yeah. everybody was informed as these outbreaks happened. I was one of the operators. I was not the cause of the outbreaks, but I was working there at the time. And every agency was informed of what was happening step by step as the incidents of outbreaks happened. And yet, the nursing station, everybody involved, refused to acknowledge and deal with this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, my opinion, I think everybody was hoping it would disappear and go away and not be serious. Mm -hmm. But that is not the case today. Right. Today, we are losing many, many members of our community. I've lost dozens of aunts and uncles in the last 10 years mm -hmm. due to stomach cancer, due to H. pylori. Mm -hmm. I argued with my mom for years to get tested. By the time she got tested, it was too late. Mm -hmm. She was taken by pancreas cancer and colorectal cancer caused by the H. pylori. Mm -hmm. Today will be her first day of her first memorial. Yeah. And I will be signing with Gowling, I hope, on this lawsuit to deal with this issue. Tell us about this lawsuit. <clears throat> well, we are suing the federal government for negligence in the water system leading to our sickness and everything mm -hmm. is what it is. We're trying to do a class action lawsuit all across Canada because of this sickness, mm -hmm. mainly this one sickness, but all the other water issues that are being ignored and not dealt with under, under documented, under reported. Mm -hmm. There is so many issues in so many communities. All you hear is bad water in First Nations Reserve. You never hear good water in First Nations Reserve. Uh, I have barely ever heard that story. And it's hard to believe knowing how they document and represent everything on the government's behalf. Mm -hmm. It is... Yeah, there was, a, there was a class action lawsuit that was passed with H. pylori, um, which involved, I think, you know, it was over 100 communities um, that signed on and uh, uh, we read, you know, the 600-page document, 700-page um, document. But the, the the important thing is that it was done wrong, you yes. know. And uh, so so people need to be uh, properly compensated. And it's sad that uh, that you know we you know have to come and to this extreme in order to have meaningful dialogue with the government yes you know and and uh however <clears throat> it's it, it needs to be done and uh after <clears throat> me and uh, sam listened to scott for about over over two and a half years straight uh, even though we knew about it longer we we decided that you know the bro needs some help here you know we gotta we gotta help him and uh 
So, so we reached out to our contacts and, and, and got this moved forward. The important thing is, is that uh, when we talk about ethics and justice, um, there's no, um, you know, we're just trying to do the right thing. And if we don't do it, who's going to do it, you know? Yes. And it's the, that's, that's, the, that's important to, to us as a team here. And uh, we're just, uh, <laughs> we're just doing the right thing so that people that can't speak, you know, have a voice. And uh, the, those families that lost loved ones uh, that are still going through uh, uh, what's happening right now with this disease um, can get the proper treatment, attention, optics, and compensation in order to, um, you know, help and begin the, 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 the healing process. How that looks in the end individually, um, that is uh, the important work that's going to be coming forward uh, over the next uh, over the next year on on what compensation uh, could look like. Yeah. So you've got a large firm, uh, law firm, uh, coming on uh, to get involved in something like this. There must be some evidence or um, yes. some, yeah. uh, you know. They wouldn't just get involved unless they felt that there was a strong case. Is that yes, right? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> yeah, it really helps that a class action was already passed. Uh, and but uh, again, like we said, is that it was done improperly, and a lot of people rushed. And uh, uh, one of the main things that we found, as an example, a just very high level brush, is that uh, uh, you can only get compensated if there was a water boil advisory in a community for one year, and then you can get compensated up to $2,000. So these people, even though you know the, the, the firm takes their cut, they walk away with $1,800. And what we're saying is that's ridiculous. If I drink this water right now, as an example, in one day, one week, or one month, it doesn't matter. I'm still sick. It shouldn't have to be on a timestamp. And a lot of the First Nations that jumped on that class action lawsuit heard it at the last minute, not really knowing uh, what they were you know, the citizens didn't really know what they were signing on to. Yes. You yeah, know, the, the thing is, uh, I didn't even know about the lawsuit until it was settled. Yeah. So I had no way of getting in there to voice my opinion on what the lawsuit, lawsuit should be, right? Yeah. I just found it strange. It's like, okay, $7 billion lawsuit or something. Yeah. And, it's like, and then I was like, what? I, was like, I didn't even know what was going on. I was like, what the hell? It's like, you know, we have water problems here and how come our community didn't get involved, like, mm -hmm. to ask the chief and council, well, how come we're not in this? And I don't think even they knew. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't um, widely talked about, even at our level, at the back home, right? So I don't know. it was rather strange, and, but, you know, we hopefully, we, we do this more properly this time, and I uh, get the message out there that uh, something is happening, and we're here for you, we're gonna, we're gonna do this, and, yeah. and we want everybody to be involved. Mm -hmm. And the courts that would be considered would that be a, is precedent the word or is there's another legal word that when there's a case that's similar to this case they can use that as leverage and say mm -hmm. this is is, is it precedent do you guys know yes yeah, yeah it's law and then so so say there's precedent here with seven billion eight billion previous yeah. and then now you have scientific evidence yes. tying and so. Um, and then, so on the harm side, you know, it's easy to, well, not easy, but say autism and uh, miscarriage, say it's like something instant, right? You can, you could attribute or you could attempt to make the case in the courts that mm. H. pylori caused these immediate things. 
and yes. you know that I'm sure there's a, a challenge in and on the defense side on the government side they'll of course have well how can you connect those dots and I'm sure you have some things going on there otherwise why would a law firm get involved but let's talk a little bit about the harm the long-term harm you know there was an analogy I heard around tennis elbow for example kids that play high-performance tennis in their childhood and in their teenage years well then much later in life they could be in 40 years old at a golf course and they form what they call and consider tennis elbow which could take a decade two decades where you've you've had an injure injury or, or, or harm and then it doesn't manifest itself for many years what are some of the um, what's some of the case that you're gonna make for a long-term health impact of H. pylori okay well now a lot of the sickness in the split lake lawsuit was not recognized and it was not they say they did deal have a little section a subsection put in near the end to deal with h pylori but if you have h pylori and you go to the nursing station they will not say it is from the water they will not say any of these sicknesses are from the water right. so automatically nobody qualifies for these settlements and that's one of the discrepancies we've seen in the split lake lawsuit for water <clears throat> along with what he said yeah, what's really interesting too when you're talking about long term is that um, the, like there's hardly any elders. Like a long time ago, there was like people living over 100 years old, 110. Now that they, they attribute that to a lot of environmental factors, and you know that the governments will talk a lot about uh, you know the way your lifestyle is now, you know drugs, alcohol, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we understand that. But where are all the old people? Now people are dying. You know they're 50, 45, 50 years old. They're just falling over. You know and uh, we need to get this stuff just properly tested. That's you know that's one example. We have lost a lot of young people due to this sickness. Eighteen to thirty. There has been many many young people that will I figure will be attributed to this that have passed away from these sicknesses. It doesn't seem normal for a twenty-five year old person to die just for a heart attack or a liver cirrhosis. That's not. That's not that's not normal. It's not one. We're talking dozens yeah. of young people dying of liver cirrhosis. Dozens of young people dying of stomach cancer. Yeah, I mean, that, what a tremendous impact! Like not just the like the death is is horrible, but then the impact on the families that that you lose your and the mental health. Like it's such a systemic like not just the death, but what that does to a community, to a family, their the impact. And then on top of that, if they're also drinking the water and then they're also sick, like, um, so uh, are you guys optimistic going into this signing today? We are winning. Yeah. We will win this lawsuit. It is hard evidence. It's all documents. It's hard to argue with that. It's documents the government has put out all the medical research organizations, university studies and stuff, and it's in paper now. It is hard to deny the effects of this sickness. The thing I noticed about the health effects of uh, H. pylori is uh, all these young people are getting sick, like in their 20s and 30s, even teenagers, right? And uh, they're getting sick with these diseases that mostly old people only get like people in their 80s and 90s 100 years old you know what i mean like, like health problems with their with their liver with their heart stomach problems you know you're, you usually don't get that until you're growing gray hair right for some reason a lot of young people are coming down with these diseases and it is it's it's strange 
like the like you're in your 20s man you should be healthy you should you know full of life full of energy a lot of spirit and but no it's not like that it's just rather odd that these people are coming out with these diseases when you shouldn't be sick like this until you're mm-hmm. have gray hair at the very least with a lot of wrinkles but mm-hmm. no it's not like that <clears throat> yeah you drive around our community mm-hmm. and you could look on the faces of the people mm-hmm. everybody when you they're walking around they look like they're walking ghosts and dead people almost the whole community looks like this from this sickness everybody's dragged out sunken in faces and everybody is seriously ill from this and the implications are just so huge that nobody wanted to touch this with a 10-foot pole nobody wanted to be a part of this or anything but here we are standing here today hopefully signing with the law firm to deal with this issue once and for all it is going to be a great thing to save all the first nations people in canada from this sickness yeah the other thing is um you don't really see it if you live on a reserve because you think it's normal. It's become the new normal. It's been normalized to mm-hmm. be ill and, have, and be sick and have adverse health effects on your life at a young age. When No, that's not normal. You're not supposed to be sick. You're not supposed to be ill at, yeah. in your 20s, teenage years, in your 30s. You're supposed mm-hmm. to be healthy. You're supposed to be vibrant. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, no, that, that's not normal. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they're trying to normalize it. And No, I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be healthy in your 20s and 30s. And you're not supposed to be sick. Yeah. Even in your 40s and 50s, you're supposed to be healthy. But no, man. For some reason, people have been convinced that it's normal to be ill and yeah. sick all the time. Would yeah. you say that uh, the government, the federal government, has acknowledged what went on with the residential school system? Um, I, I believe some of it, but it comes back to liability. Nobody wants to admit that it's their fault. <laughs> I do believe that, but they did look forward to dealing with some of it. But how much of it was dealt with properly? Was it all dealt with properly? So are we, are, we'll take the case that that happened, though, right? Mm-hmm. So somebody, some system, went into Indigenous communities took the children out of the indigenous communities and then put the children into us another system is that would that summarize what happened there or how would you guys describe what went on around that i'd be putting it gently but yeah well, then, let's, <laughs> yeah. how would you say it in a little bit more assertive uh, firm way you would have a one viewpoint and from the inside view we have a slightly different wording for that <laughs> like uh what it's kid- the same gist but it's a kidnapped. little more rough kidnap ki- kill the yeah. in- inner child yeah you know? for sure learned helplessness happens over time right and there's uh, a point where where as an example uh, a community of a people is is worn down and they get very tired of trying to fight the good fight and uh you know that's 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 one way to put it you know it's it's a learned helplessness because you can't see anyone else succeeding and you're just worn down beat down by the system now when we talk about um <clears throat> your 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 the way you framed it is Thanks. very strong <laughs> now from an inside i won't I won't personally say, you know, they're doing this on purpose. However, you know, when you see 
the system fail repeatedly, and we'll, we're talking about water here, which is interesting. Um, when you look at where our water system was and how bad it still is right now with, uh, with uh, and then they say we're going to remediate this problem and, and take the, the, the water treatment system and build a brand new state-of-the-art and move it closer to a bigger problem. They, they, they built the new um, multi-million dollar water treatment system right beside a 40-year-old, uh, you could call it a First Nation legacy business where all of the diesel and antifreeze uh, just trickles down. Yeah, petrochemicals. Petrochemicals just leaks right in and gets automatically sucked in by the new facility. And on top of a hill, you have a lagoon which systems breach and water's pouring down for years and years and it goes down, it comes through and it gets sucked in. It's like trying to take it's trying to it's it's like trying to take this clean straw and putting it into the sewage and hoping you're gonna get drink clean drinking water. They moved it into a worse situation and in a, in a worse spot. What's 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 really harsh about that is who made the decisions for that? Now, yes. like what I'm trying to say is that yeah, the chief and council will sign off on stuff like that, and that's okay. But they don't have the personnel, engineers in house, and they get the recommendations from Indigenous Services Canada, who have the project managers who recommended that spot, and they chief and council sign off on it. They don't have time to look at that. They're not experts in water. Yeah. So, so they they build this brand new facility there, and the problem is even worse than it was before. And, and you can yes, literally see that, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of the nation, but our view is, is that uh, no one is really treating this seriously. I'd like to add something to that real quick. What you were saying about the water plant and the intake and sucking in all the contaminations and stuff. Our new water plant, for some reason, they still say our water is safe to drink. It's perfectly safe. They pump a million liters of raw, untreated sewage yeah. a couple hundred yards off the intake of our brand new multi-million dollar water facility. Mm -hmm. And they say that is okay yeah. to drink. So when we look at this, um, the way you described, let's put this plant beside this facility. Like in those types of situations, it really would come down to ignorance or malice because like you're either dumb who you not to point out of whoever did it but system a system you're either dumb or you did it intentionally yes and either both of those are wrong engineers are usually not dumb just <laughs> and Scotty did point it out to them it's like you know what before and then he's like he told them you know there's there's tractors here there's semi trucks there's like a yeah. dozen of them 20 30 machines like heavy equipment and, you know, those things are, they're not foolproof, they leak. Mm -hmm. And that, that site's been there for 40 years. And then when it rains or it snows, and the runoff goes exactly to where the intake line is. It, it, it makes no sense. I don't like me, as, I'm not an engineer, but common sense would tell me it's like, let's not put that there. And Scotty here's a water expert. He knows a lot more than me. And he, he's, he told these engineers that 
it's not a good spot that the, we should not put it there. Mm-hmm. I was a little more aggressive than that. Yeah, I'm putting it nicely. <laughs> so where does this fit into as far as a national issue? Because, you know, we're talking a reserve and, you know, sure. God bless those 3,000 people. They're safe. But, this is safe. But, right. But we 3,000 people, like, you could make the case out of 44 million Canadians or whatever. That 3,000, like, okay, that's unfortunate. And God bless those people. But what about the rest of Canada, you're talking about all of the First Nations in Canada, all of those 600, 700 getting involved. So are are we seeing problems across the country? Yeah, well, there's there's problems. And uh, what's interesting is that um, I was talking to, uh, I I won't mention his name, but I was talking to one of the senior uh, uh, directors at uh, the Assembly of First Nations, which is Canada's biggest advocacy group. And... um, he reached out to me and he was just totally excited by like, this is incredible. You know, like, um, I know a lot about, uh, H pylori, uh, and, um, there's a lot of these cases north of 60 and, uh, you know, whatever I can do to help you, you know, I want to help you. So the, the, the whole premise behind this is that, um, uh, we want to work with the advocacy group. We want to be able to, um, uh, you know, uh, educate and then get, uh, the first nations to, uh, make an informed decision uh, and uh, sign on this class action lawsuit uh, so that uh, we we get more traction and then the advocacy group can can knock on the, the door of the the federal government and uh, make change happen uh, uh, and then that's what that's what that's that's the plan there so is there anything else on the water side that you want to ensure that we talk about or we've sort of covered it all or what you pretty much got the rough gist of it but what it is it's we are on the federal system because the the federal government has a duty to provide us clean safe drinking water and they are not i do not understand how they can put raw sewage in our, our water i have documents hundreds of documents showing massive contaminations of e coli and fecal matter in our drinking water system i have evidence that it was never ever cleaned up and remediated and how do they have the nerve to say it is safe for me and my kids to drink yet my whole family and everyone around us is sick and dying and dropping like flies yeah it's pretty and firm it, stand to say i'm not going to drink water for eight years like sure. you obviously in the everything of your being you're saying yeah. you drink a bunch of coca-cola and yeah. shit right what was that bottled water uh company you were saying like how much bottled water was purchased um, i'm drink sell like a pallet of bottled water back home at the store every day plus those five gallon jugs like i have pushed my stresses or i don't trust the water i've got upset stomach multiple times my kids have gotten upset stomachs multiple times and i don't know i have a hard time drinking the tap water extremely hard i don't even make coffee with it or tea mm-hmm. that's that's a really good point because even though a leadership may praise the new water system to me it looks like the people don't believe it they and they're still drinking. walking and going buying pallets from the from the local store that has been shipped in, you know? And if, if, if the water is good as they say it is, then why are all of our people still buying bottled water? You can relate that to habit, learn behavior, but uh, no, it's more than that. Every household has bottled water. Yeah, and, it, and, it's, and, it, and if you look at, uh, let's talk about the, the, the monetary value of that. So for, for 20 years, if you take like 550 homes and you travel, uh, 85 kilometers, you spend 100 bucks to go 85 kilometers, and every week you have 
two cases of bottled water, that's that's minimum, right? There's people that do way more than that. You know, there was like, uh, I forget what that equated to, but every household, 550 homes times, you know, say $120 for to get two pallets of drinks, uh, water, and you times that by 20 years, it's an exorbitant amount of money just on water, you know? it's it's it, That money could have been used somewhere else, you know? If the, if the, if the government has a fiduciary responsibility to look after the First Nations drinking water, then where's the evidence? Because I don't see it. My father didn't see it. My grandfather didn't see it. So where is it? Yeah, I prefer to drink tap water. It's free. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just can't. It's like it's like in, when you've been sick multiple times, it's like it, it starts to affect your psychology and your yeah. mental health. Yeah. And uh, I see that with a lot of people. It's just. Even if people say it's safe and well, well okay, the water's safe. How come you got a couple of cases of yeah. bottled water here in your house? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I, like, I believe Scotty is like, he told me not to drink the water. I was like, sure. Plus, I got sick too, and my kids got sick. I'm like, okay, that's, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to add in to mention that I did quit my job. I was constructively dismissed because of the band and the government's refusal to deal with these issues that were being done under my tickets and my name without my okay and consent. And they were using my tickets without my consent to make the system look like it was safe while they were contaminating it. And I was told to shut up by the government officials and by other leaders and stuff and quit doing this, stop it. And they started to squash me down on social media due to policy procedures, social media procedures and stuff. And so I finally stepped away so I could bring this out to light for everybody. It's been a hard time being unemployed. I've been blacklisted by our reserve. I have lost my tickets and credentials just recently. They have all lapsed and I'm still standing here. We are gonna deal with this issue. It will be dealt with. One way or another, this is not gonna go away and they are gonna have to face the music and deal with this. It will be recognized. It's a curable sickness. There's no reason for any of us to die from it. Yeah, that's gonna be a good good story to see how this unfolds. Um, And on that note, one of the um, first kind of story well we came together in that context of hey do you want to tell some interesting stories we found you on linkedin looked at clean communities corporation thought this group is really up to some things is connected to a lot of things the first one that we that came up was the hyperloop tell us a little bit about transpod yeah transpod Uh, not hyperloop but transpod is transpod is it a hyperloop is it called a hyperloop but transpod project what's the distinction oh that's true Hyperloop is an older technology. Uh, Transpod took those best technologies and made them even better. And uh, so I won't mention the companies associated with uh, with with, uh, with Hyperloop, but Transpod is the fifth generation of uh, of transportation in Canada. So we're going to go a thousand kilometers an hour from Calgary to Edmonton. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in about I don't know forty two minutes. You can do it quicker, but thousand kilometers seems to be good enough when you're traveling in a train in a vacuum tube yeah so it's it's pretty cool it's and like, cccs uh sorry cut you off no no we're, we, we are our ccc is uh one of the primes on the project so um uh, what's really interesting with that is that uh, uh we are like you could say uh the indigenous gateway for the entire uh, uh project where people that want to go to work and stuff like that they would come to our company and we would do 
training to employment, upskilling them to make sure that uh, the requirements required by the Transpod uh, team, uh, those people can transition or be retooled to get into that, uh, that industry. So in Alberta, as an example, we're seeing um, the transition from oil and gas into renewables, and quite impressive actually. And uh, there's a skill set there that can be uh, moved into uh, the green area, green technologies. And so um, the project uh, is gonna take about 10 years, 140,000 people will need to be on that job. So um, what does indigenous inclusion look like? For me, it was important to ask that question to the CEO. And uh, I asked the CEO, uh, Sebastian, you know, like, uh, is it 5%? And he says, why five? Why not 35? So, okay, wonderful. You know, so um, he was really um, not taking any stance. He said, basically, if you want to be involved, be involved, you know, and there's no way we're going to get 35% for, you know, uh, people to that are indigenous to work on the, on the project. It's just too massive, too big. You know, the next biggest project, I think, in Alberta was uh, uh, the LNG gas pipeline. I think there was 67,500 people and they couldn't even meet the 5% quota. They had to reach across the whole country even though they thought that they could get it here. No, they were calling universities and colleges and trying to send people over there to try and build that. So we're going to have a similar situation, but uh, we're hoping that um, it's exciting enough that it'll get enough attention that um, you know we can be really effective in this area. Yeah. And what about um, First Nation Youth Build Canada? Tell us a bit briefly about that. Okay, well, First Nation Youth Build Canada um, was, I guess you could say, birthed from another idea called Youth Build. And uh, Youth Build operates at that time, I think, in 18 countries around the world, and there was over 270 sites on the planet. Um, we were doing this very innovative project, uh, uh, taking youth and getting them to build homes. And so we said, hey, let's call this beautiful thing Youth Build, uh, unbeknownst to me that it was already trademarked. And so I had to call some guys and uh, find out about Youth Build. And the team at Youth Build USA uh, flew up uh, the CEO to come and see us and, and to see what we were doing. And they were blown away. They said, uh, you guys are doing stuff that we're not doing anywhere else in the world. And so um, in, 20, uh, in 2020, I believe, we were awarded the number one Youth Build site on the planet. And I'm talking about Nisichuasi Cree Nation. Uh, we have sites across the country now that are involved with Youth Build. And, um, and so the grassroots innovation that happens from our community that involve training to employment and an intake process using the best practices um, affects more than 800,000 youth around the world. And so we've been getting a lot of attention, working with our international partners to continue to lobby the federal government to keep this initiative uh, going uh, because they're grossly underfunded uh, not only in education, but you know, uh, in the area of training to employment and, and how do we do that effectively. And so um, the government understands ROIs, you know, and so we, we explain you know, uh, you know, those equations to the government on impacts. And uh, when you can have 1,216% return on investment from investing in youth, um, that that's huge. I mean, the government, our governments in First Nations get excited when we make you know four or ten percent, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 rate of returns. 
And when you can say, no, if you invest in your people, it's 1,216% and you actually close the leaky bucket syndrome, you get the circular economy, the money stays in, you're not importing people from outside, you're building a skill set that doesn't exist and uh, it really strengthens up the whole community. I mean, Nelson House boasts now that we have the most uh, registered apprentices on any First Nation in Canada. And before that, in 2016, we only had four or five Red Seals. Now we got 135 or, you know, and all different things doing, you know, great work. And there's no shortage of, uh, of, uh, of uh, determined youth that want to get involved in this. And those uh, best practices are what's really attracting other First Nations to our community to learn from those things, to take a foundation that was built on and make it even better. You know, so it's, it's a living document and uh, it's, it's, it's ever evolving and it's really exciting. Yeah. So, go ahead to add something real quick. This could be the solution to the First Nation, Nation's housing issue, is what he's doing with that youth building, those other things over there. It really looks very, very promising. It is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, our, our youth, as an example, right now in our community, I think we've built, a, I think it's about 65 houses, 65 houses just on our community since we started. And, you know, we have youth now that... Uh, you know, are excited. They're being able to 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 pay for a lifestyle, get out of poverty, buy vehicles, buy food, and there's hope. You know, in this area that we're we're talking about youth build. So yeah, it's, it's pretty good. What would you say, Jody, to um, partners that are considering getting involved, getting involved with CCC and the We Maple Film Series? You know, we've got water, youth. There's the there's the job creation kind of piece. There's the culture reconciliation piece. We've got one of the most innovative stories in Alberta with Transpod. Um, we've got some groups that we're sort of talking to and the new groups that we want to bring in. What would you want them to know about this uh, collaboration? Well, that's interesting. I mean, um, for for me, uh, the like I said, the important thing for, for me is to work with uh, international companies that see the value of... Uh, attaching themselves to an indigenous-led corporation that's really breaking the mold and to be involved in the most, like I said, innovative projects in the country. And, and, and uh, for me, as an example, I get calls from, from, from China, Japan, from Europe, you know, companies I've never even heard about that want to partner uh, with CCC because they know that their chances of... Uh, of having success and, and getting grants because they have an indigenous partner uh, is important. So there is a vetting process. A lot of those people have been turned down because they still, you know, um, have that, that mindset that, uh, no, we have a, you know, a feather within our, within our, within our, our, our company, right? And it's, it's not the right kind of optics and it's not real true reconciliation. So it's, it's really reconciliation is walking hand in hand together and doing the whole project together. Uh, uh, not because it's just indigenous, because it's just the right thing to do, you know, and, and that's what it's all about. I mean, we are all people. <laughs> that, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. I don't get, try and get confused about, uh, you know, uh, minority groups. We're all people. We all want the same things, a better life, a good life. And, 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 and that's important. Yeah. yeah, what a strong way to, to end today's conversation. Is there anything else that any of you fellows would like to add before we wrap? Everybody should get tested for H. pylori, whether you figure it or not. 
Yeah. Uh, I hope you guys get tested eventually yeah. when you have a chance and see. Because yeah. this is a sickness. This is a world sickness. It is everywhere. It is contagious. And a lot of people do not know they have it. We could be saving lives here. Yeah. And for myself, I just think that, uh, you know, if people want to be involved in the exciting stuff that we're doing, just be involved. Give us a call. And where can people find you? Uh, well, uh, we have a website. Uh, my website is cleancommunities.tech. And uh, the other website is fnybc.org. Uh, All right. Well, let's go sign a class action lawsuit, eh, boys? Yes. <laughs> right on. Thanks, right on. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Awesome. Yeah, right on.